Okay, I'm glad you're here. So the monarch butterfly flies out from Mexico, but but he doesn't know how to get to to Canada because it's never been to Canada before because they don't live very long. So so what happens is m- miraculously they start out toward Canada, and then they they mate, they have children, and then the parents die. So. And that's like just a, a medium ways into, the, into this migratory trek, which means the children are now like brand new. They're just born and they don't even know that they're going anywhere. Do, do you understand that? They not only don't they know that they're going to Canada, they've never heard of Canada and they don't know where it is. Isn't that crazy? Now listen to this. They then mate and have children and they die. Which means now their grandchildren who are on their way to Canada, except they don't know where Canada is and they've never been there and they don't even know that they're going there. And it's either the, I think it's the great grandchildren, if I'm not mistaken, that arrive in Canada. And then this process repeats itself and they go from Canada back to Mexico. I don't know how long they stay in Canada for, but then they repeat this and the same process repeats itself. The, the, the butterflies that are there have never been to Mexico and don't know where, where Mexico is. And then they're born along the journey and it's the exact same story. So, so this is something that's absolutely like like confounded scientists, like how does this happen? They don't even know. But anyway, when I, when I first heard this, I thought to myself, this is the story of the Jewish people because all of us are on the way to Israel and most of us don't even know that. <laughs> and we're born sort of like mid-journey, mid-exile, like how many generations into it and that's where we're heading and maybe just like certain of those generations of the monarch butterflies never make it to Canada or Mexico right but they they have progeny who do or whose progeny's progeny do so that's us that's you and me like right now you know I, I'll tell you something I, I've been getting emails lately. I just got some, I just got uh, another one on Friday um, from people who are sort of like born and bred Americans or whatever, just like out of the blue, just saying, we're going to Israel. And I've gotten a bunch of these and they actually are going to Israel. And not just as a vacation, but, you know, the way a lot of people do it right now is they just go, okay. We're going to check out it, check it out in seriousness. Or I know even some people who are going for um, one year, and I've heard this phrase, a pilot trip. You know, some sometimes I guess that's a a phrase people are using right now, just to spend a year there and check it out and see how it goes. And then other people are just all in and they're just going. So, so that's pretty amazing. That that's pretty amazing, and. Where does it come from? So what got us on this whole topic is this idea of of the GPS, you know? All of us have this GPS, this soul GPS. And the, the Gomorrah says that when we're born, um, while we're in our mother's womb, an angel teaches us the entire Torah. And then when we're born... It, we actually get touched by the angel on our lip. In fact, th- that little indent that you have a, a, just in the middle of your upper lip, right? Just above your upper lip. They say, mystically speaking, that's where it comes from. When the angel touches you on, on your lip when you're born and you forget everything. But the thing is, is that when you learned it, like in vitro, when you learn the entirety of the Torah, that doesn't leave you. So in other words, there's like this conscious knowledge and there's this soul knowledge. 
And so when you're a baby, you don't have the conscious knowledge anymore, but you never lose the soul knowledge. And that's the GPS. That's this divine GPS that we all have. And it kind of steers us, steers us sometimes in like surprising directions. Like we're like, all of a sudden we're like, what's Shabbos all about? <laughs> and yeah, I'm not so religious, but it's Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And yeah, I got to do that. And it's, it's like, but why? Like it's, they're just, it's just, there's something else going on in terms of your composition. That's, that's this impression, this, this divine GPS, which is kind of like taking over the wheel. Like normally speaking, like we're driving and then like this hand reaches out from inside of us. How's that for a piece of horror movie imagery? <laughs> Only I'm sort of meaning it in a very angelic way. So a little bit of attention in this imagery right now. But anyway, this hand reaches out from inside of us and grabs the wheel and just... And the crazy thing is, is because, okay, I'm just going to really stretch this, this visual right now. Because it's an angel hand, we can't even see it. So we think we're the ones driving, right? And we're like, huh, how odd that I made that choice. Meanwhile, like this deeper side of me is grabbing the wheel and is actively making that choice, you know? I mean, I, I didn't expect to share this whole butterfly uh, idea with you, but, but the more I talk about it, the more I realize that it's incredibly appropriate to discuss this very thing right now because, because it's Tisha B'Av, it's the 9th of Av. Well, actually, yesterday was the 9th of Av, which is a whole thing in itself, and I want to get into that with you guys in a moment. Um, today we're observing it, so the fast is today. But you know something? It's good that we're fasting today uh, because the main burning of the Holy Temple actually took place on the 10th of Av. You know, normally speaking, when a fast day is over, none of the strictures of the fast day apply. But Tisha B'Av is a little bit different because the main burning of the, the main destruction was on the 10th of Av. Even after we fast on the 9th of Av, which is when the fire started, when the destruction started. So it makes sense that we're doing it on the 9th of Av. Nonetheless, like we can't like eat meat or anything like that until midday of the 10th of Av. Because that's when it's sort of like, or if you want to do laundry or get a haircut or, or, or the other things that you'd like to do or eat meat or things like that, you have to kind of wait a ways. So anyway, the point is, is that today is the 10th of Av where the main burning of the Holy Temple took place, when it took place. So, so it's not a bad thing to be fasting today because um, it's, it's appropriate, you know. We're still kind of in the, in the zone very much right now. Okay, so... So just, I want to just finish up this, this butterfly idea. So, you know, Rebbe Nachman of Breslov says one of the greatest Torahs, he says that wherever you go, wherever a Jew goes, everywhere you go, you're heading toward Israel. And then he says something even more amazing. He says, even if you're heading in the opposite direction, you're still heading toward Israel. Right? Because I guess, I mean, on the simplest level. Oh. On the simplest level, the world is round, right? So there's a, there's a long way and a short way. So even if you go... The opposite way, you're still going to get there, right? But I think Rabbi Nachman is saying something deeper, which is sometimes we consciously go in the right direction and we're making good, smart, sound choices with our life and it leads us on the direct path. And sometimes we're making like lots of mistakes, which so to speak is going in the opposite direction or the wrong direction. But you know something? That doesn't mean our GPS, our soul GPS, gets shut down. So sometimes we get led to the right place through our mistakes. I know that's true for me in my life. And it's deep. It's really deep. Because, you know, we're in, when we're 
when we're in the middle of making a series of miscalculations, a lot of times we think that we're so hopelessly off track that we've blown it. And it's just not the case. We're just heading to Israel in the opposite direction. There's still a straight line from wherever we are to where we want to go. We're just taking another pathway. In other words, we're never, we've never blown it. Where there's life, there's hope. Wherever there's life, there's hope. If you're still breathing, there's hope. That's, that's just the bottom line. You know, one of my favorite Hasidic stories on this topic is there's someone who got lost in a forest. And that was a life and death thing because, you know, when it became nighttime, wolves would come out and they'll tear you to pieces. They'll kill you. Or thieves, robbers, murderers would hang out in the forest at night and they'll kill you too. So you did not want to be lost in the forest at night, basically. It was a, it was a life and death thing. And so this person is lost and, you know, the sun's starting to set, the person's starting to panic. And they see another person, an old man, and they're so happy. It's like, ah, oh, thank God. They run over to this person and they say, I'm lost. Which way out? Which way out of the forest? And the person says back, he says, you know, I'm very sorry to tell you, I'm also lost. But I can tell you which ways not to go down. So that's a deep story. It's a deep story. There's something called, my father used to like to talk about this, there's something called the null hypothesis, N-U-L-L, the null hypothesis. It's a scientific thing. And basically, let's say a scientist wants to prove that um, X is the cure to Y, right? And, you know, they do a lot of experiments and they find out, you know what? X is not the cure to Y. So it seems like a failure, right? I was hoping X would be the cure. So what's the null hypothesis? Something was accomplished. What they've now found out is X is not the cure to Y. In other words, that, that, that's very useful information. Because a lot of us in our own lives, we think that this is the way to accomplish a goal, and it keeps on not working. But what you can do is you can make an adjust, and I would talk to someone before you make this adjust. Because it could be you just haven't tried it long enough. But, you know, if it, if it's, if it hasn't worked a series of times, you should definitely consult another person. Um, someone who's wise, you know, that's very important. I'll, t- I'll tell you another story. My father had a hernia and he was scared. He had kind of like a phobia about having this hernia operation. So he went through decades of his life, even though it had been diagnosed with a hernia because he, he didn't want to have the surgery. Anyway, at a certain point earlier in his life, he asked a doctor and the doctor said, ah, it's not so serious, you don't have to do it. Now, here's the end of the story. Decades later, my father found out that the doctor had a hernia too and that he also had a phobia about having an operation on this hernia. And so he gave the advice to my father from his standpoint of fear and limitation. He gave the, the advice to my father, ah, you don't have to have the hernia. Because he hadn't worked through the problem. He was not the right person to get advice from. Now, my father didn't know that, and this is an unusual case, you know. So what can you do? I mean, most of the time this is not going to happen to you. But you have to be on guard to ask the right person. That, that's the point. You can't just ask anyone. You have to be discriminating. You have to ask a wise person, preferably a Talmud Chacham, a Torah scholar. It's even better to ask someone who's older 
because they have a lot of life experience. I have a, I came up with a formula one time, which is that knowledge or or intelligence, intelligence plus experience equals wisdom. Intelligence plus experience equals wisdom. Basically, we don't want intelligence. Intelligence is wonderful. If you have it, God bless you. But intelligence alone is not going to save you. You need wisdom. You know, there have been a lot of really smart people who have almost destroyed the world many, many, many times. Intelligence alone won't do it for you. You need wisdom. But how do you get wisdom? Well, you need experience for wisdom. You know, and even the Torah, the Torah is wisdom. The Torah will get you there. But even you need experience with applying the Torah. That's why an older, an older scholar is, is really kind of your best bet. And I'll tell you why on a very, very simple, understandable level. There's nothing mystical here. He's like the old person in the forest who's also lost. He may not necessarily know the way out, but he knows all the ways that don't work. Because so many people have come to him over the years and he's seen the advice that he's given and the things that they've tried either work or not work. So that's why that, that person's perspective is so incredibly valuable. So, so we have to be open to trying new things. That's the thing. If it hasn't been working for you, ask someone, try something else. Try a different pathway. I can't tell you how many times I come into contact with people, and I'll include myself in this, where there's a painful call. You just don't want to make it. It's just uncomfortable, or you're just lazy, or it's just, I don't know, you have a mental block about making this phone call. And then you call and leave a message, and then you wait for weeks or months or years for the person to call you back. It's like, hello, if you don't get through... Or like I I, I like to say sometimes, if you haven't called twice, you haven't called once. And a lot of times, if you haven't called five times, you haven't called once. This is especially when it comes to a, um, you know, with people, with individuals, it might be a little bit different. You know, you might get into the area of overkill or being over aggressive. But when it comes to like express scripts, you know, like you're, you're, your online pharmacy, or when it comes to a bank, or when it comes to an insurance company. When it comes to, you know, anything like that, or a doctor, when it comes to anything like that, there is no limit to the amount of calls that you can make until you get through. And I I think that's really important because um, sometimes we let ourselves off the hook a little too quickly. And and to to our own detriment, to our own detriment, because look, you either want to get it done or you don't want to get it done. And if you want to get it done, get it done. And that can mean like that extra call or that extra two calls or whatever it is. Because those institutions won't call you back. They don't care. They don't, they, they just, they don't care. I mean, that's the simple truth. Um, you know, there might be individuals within those organizations that do care. I mean, I don't want to, you know, be overly harsh, but, 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 but a lot of times we think that, you know, I've made the call to the bank. The bowl is now in your court. The bowl is not in the bank's court. The bowl is still in your court. Oh, my goodness. All right. You guys understand. All right. Well, let's, let's kind of get to the, the Tishabov connection. And then I want to discuss something, I think, kind of deep with you guys. Um, so... 
so we're all that butterfly and we're all heading to Israel and how can it be that that butterfly let's say the second generation or the third but or the third generation butterfly who's born on the road doesn't know where Mexico is has never been to Mexico <laughs> doesn't even know that it's going to Mexico and gets to Mexico so I think that that's all of us right now in terms of Tisha B'Av. Like we never experienced the Holy Temple. And, and yet there's some part of us that's like, we need the Holy Temple. Like how can we live without the Holy Temple? Where is this coming from? It's programmed so deeply inside of us. And that's our sole GPS. You know, I'll give you one explanation for it. Do you know how many of the 613 commandments in the Torah can't be done without a holy temple? Like, I don't know the number, but a hundreds. I know that it's in the hundreds. So that's... that That's... When, when we're born, we're imprinted with this, with this, like, beyond desire. This, like, this, 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 this connection, which, which nothing can break, unbreakable connection to this mission. And there's so much of it we can't do without a holy temple. And so there's something deep within us that wants to connect to God fully, and we understand that until we solve this, this puzzle piece of rebuilding the Beis HaMikdash, that we can't be fully connected in the way that we need to be. And so that's one of the, just one of the mysteries of how it is that 2,000 years later, all of us are born along the road. I mean, I told you it's like four generations later, I think, for the monarch butterfly. How many generations is it for us? And we're still going toward Israel. We're still mourning over the fact that there's no holy temple. This is beyond. But it shows you how real this connection is. That's wild. I mean... I'll, I'll tell you something, and it's, it's not the best example, so I apologize for giving you a bit of a negative example, but I'm, I'm really trying to communicate and make a point here. I've done, I've been privileged to give many, many speeches over the years at the Chabad um, drug rehab program. And, and to, you know, whatever, just to try to help a little bit. Not, I don't want to overstate my role at all, but, you know, go in and work with the guys a little bit. And one of the things over the period of years that I've seen that's like very hard to see, it's a, it, on, on one level, it's very beautiful to see. It's really inspiring to see. And on the other hand, it's like very sad to see at the same time. And that is the number of people who are back a second time, a third time, a fourth time. And... And the beautiful part of that is that they haven't given up and, and, that, and that's as it should be. So th those people are heroes. On the other hand, though, on the other hand, though, the tragic side of it is, is clear, is that, is that they got addicted and they're spending the rest of their lives trying to overcome that addiction. Because that addiction was so strong. It changes your brain chemistry. It just it it just it just turns you inside out. You know. You know. I I heard this um, this woman. She's a, a world famous psychologist, and she's a, a survivor of the Holocaust. I, I believe her name is Claire. I don't know her last name, but um, she's like a very brilliant, gifted woman, and and just like this miracle of a person who's got through that and is helping people and everything like that. She wrote a book called The Gift. Anyway, I heard her say that 
and I'm, I'm, she meant this in general, but I'm applying this to drug addiction right now. But this applies in general. She says, first you have a secret, and then the secret has you. I mean, that's, that's a terrifying, that's terrifying if you heard what she just said. I'll say it one more time. First you have a secret, and then the secret has you. Okay, so for those of you, I'm sure most of you got it, but for those of you who didn't get it, you know, as they say, Rahman al-Atzlan, like, like, like the, just this, it's a sad thing in life that sometimes people keep a secret that's, you know, because they've done something they sh- let's just say they shouldn't have done or that they shouldn't be doing. Okay, hopefully no one, none of us are in this category, I hope, but human beings being human beings, this is, this is uh, not so uncommon. And, but in order to keep this a secret, you got to turn your life inside out in order to keep this thing a secret. And now the secret has you. And that's what it means. And so you thought you were calling the shots. And then it's, it's running your life. Right? So I told you this is not the most positive example that I wanted to give. Because I, wanna, I actually want to say something very positive. But our souls are a bit of a secret to us. And I'm not talking about addiction anymore or anything dark or negative right now at all. What I'm saying is, is that how can it be that we can be fasting and mourning the Beis Amigdash 2,000 years later, how many generations later, when none of us experienced it? And it's because our soul has us in the most unbreakable way. And, and, and that is amazing, actually. I'm so happy my soul has me. I'm so happy about that because I don't know what's going on, but my soul sees past this material realm and is connected to just all the infinite realms. And believe me, I want my soul calling the shots. And we're all living examples right now of our soul calling the shots, you know? I'll tell you just something as part of my personal journey, you know, spiritual journey toward, I didn't grow up keeping Shabbos, toward keeping Shabbos, toward trying to keep the mitzvahs as best as I can. I, I, I was afraid to keep Shabbos, you know. Wow, I have a next-door neighbor who's like, I was like, chutzpah, he's talking so loud. And then, like, it's like, what about me? <laughs> I'm probably talking louder than he is. <laughs> it's a classic thing that when you see something wrong in someone else, like, you'd only see it wrong in someone else if you had it in you. So it's like... I'm like thinking, this guy, I should quiet down, I can't think straight. Meanwhile, I'm like yelling, you know. So, so yeah, there's this, there's this, there's this, there was this fear, like, if I go down this road, like, like, do I really want my soul running my life? Like, that was like an alien concept to me and slightly terrifying. And it's the, I got to say, it's the best decision I ever made by far. Because what are we talking about exactly? What are we talking about when we're talking about our soul running our lives? We're talking about keeping the mitzvahs of the Torah, or that's, that's what I'm talking about right now. And, and the truth is, is that when a person does that, to use the, just the, just the epically poetic words of Rabbi David Aaron, 
you put your soul in harmony with the with the universe like you want your soul to be in harmony with the universe do you want to be in harmony with your own soul that's that's that that's the blueprint that's that's the mitzvahs of the torah that will create the harmony that's the truth that's the truth of it okay so now let's go a little bit deeper I've given you this model before, but I never applied it to Tisha B'Av. So now I'm going to apply it to Tisha B'Av, okay? But let me just tell you what the model is. The model is that time, according to the Western construct, is a very linear process. You've got the past, the present, and then the future, and it's just proceeding in a straight line. So time is linear. It just goes and it 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 goes. Okay, but what about what about time from a Torah perspective? So time from a Torah perspective is it's like a spiral. And this spiral gets wider and wider and wider. If you can see my finger, you'll get a you'll get a picture of it. It goes around and around, but not in a circle. It's not circular. It's a spiral, so it keeps on going up, and it keeps getting wider, and it keeps going up, and it's going in that, that amazing circle, right? Now, there's certain days in time which shoot through all of time. Imagine like a geyser at the bottom of the spiral, like a fountain, right? And just shooting through time. And so the idea is, is that when we're going around this circle, and we hit that geyser of light, that geyser of energy. Like, let's talk about Pesach, for instance. Pesach shoots through time. That energy, which, which is the day that we left Egypt after 400 years of servitude, right? That's the night that we have Pesach Seder. So, so this is really important because we think of the Jewish holidays as anniversaries of historical events. But it's way deeper than that. We're not just remembering something that happened long ago. We're re-entering the day itself. Because these days are eternal. And we re-enter the day itself. So that when we have Passover Seder, we're re-entering that same time. Do you understand? We're leaving Egypt at that moment. And now just to kind of, it's, it's really a mind-bending thought because God is in time and God is also beyond time, which means that God sees the past, the present, and the future all at once, which means that from God's perspective, on Seder night, on Pesach night, He's seeing the Jews leave Egypt and he's seeing you at your Pesach table at the same time. Not only that, but the Zohar says that all future redemptions, including the Messianic redemption when Mashiach comes, is the same, is built on leaving Egypt, which means that God also sees the future redemption at the same time. Which means from God's perspective, the future redemption has already happened. It hasn't happened for us yet. But from God's perspective, since he sees the future, it's already happened. Now that's, that's important from an Amuna standpoint, from a belief standpoint. Because a person shouldn't say, oh, I hope one day Mashiach comes. Yes, that's true. We should hope for that. But from God's perspective, it's already happened. In other words, we should never say, I hope God will bring Mashiach one day. Maybe he won't. So no, God forbid, from God's perspective, he's already brought it. Do you understand? It's a done deal. It's a done deal. So God forbid you shouldn't think that you're working for nothing or working for some promise that may or may not be kept. From God's perspective, it's already going on right now. 
Okay, so that's an important thing for Amuna. So, so it's not, the question is not if, the question is when. One of my favorite teachings from Reb Shlomo that he would give over at, at weddings, right? Is he would say, it took one couple to get us into this mess. So who's to say it won't take one couple to take us out? And as long as it's going to be one couple, why shouldn't it be the two of you? <laughs> right? Isn't that beautiful teaching? So, so remember the Rambam teaches that every single person should go through life feeling that the world is balanced on the scale of, of like merits and like mitzvahs and averas, like, like good deeds and, and bad deeds, however you want to translate it. Like it's evenly balanced. Everyone should go through life thinking that way and that your next action can tip the scales. So, in other words, that is that bit of imagery from the Rambam is a corrective measure for anyone who thinks, ah, who knows, and this and that, and who am I, and I'm so small, and does it really matter if I wash my hands and say a blessing before I eat bread? Yes, it absolutely matters. Does it really matter if I put on tefillin today or if I give tzedakah to this homeless person that I'm about to walk by? Yes, yes, and yes. Every single one of these things can tip the scale of merit in the entire world because it's going to be one of us at one point that's going to do it because it's already happened from God's time. It's already happened, which means just reverse engineer it. Just reverse engineer it. If it's already happened, work backwards. That means that one mitzvah tipped the scale. So why shouldn't it be you? It's going to be someone. Reb Shlomo said more than once, I heard it with my own ears. How do we know it's not going to be the prayer of a drunkard lying in the gutter that brings Mashiach? Can you imagine, have you ever seen someone stretched against the concrete, lying down on the concrete on a sidewalk? Reb Shlomo said, how do you know it's not that person's prayer that's going to bring Mashiach? Like probably you thought that person's not even in the game. But what did I tell you? Where there's life, there's hope. If you're alive, you're in the game. All right, I want to go deeper I want to connect this spiral notion of time to Tisha B'Av because a lot of us, too many of us, are thinking that Tisha B'Av is the observance of a historical event and it doesn't apply to us. So you can say, I don't know what you can say. Like, I, don't, I can't relate to the Holy Temple. What are you, what are you, what are you doing to me? making me fast. What are you doing to me? But let's go back to this spiral nature of time. Right now, we have re-entered the day of destruction. That is what's going on right now. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. Now, we know that this is going to be a holiday in the future and that it's even a little bit of a holiday now because we don't say Tachanun now, which is you know, a certain prayer that isn't said on holidays. And we don't say it today because we know that the Medrash says that today Mashiach is born and that this is in its essence a holiday and the Navi Zachariah says it's going to be a great holiday. So we know there's some positive energy happening, but, but we haven't really arrived at, that, at the fullness of that yet, which means we've entered into that day called Tisha B'Av as we know it historically. So you say, okay, so big deal. So I entered into the day. So it's still a historical observance. Maybe I'm in the day, but I'm still commemorating something that happened long ago. And the answer is no, 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 no. That is not what's going on right now. The rabbis explain, and listen carefully, any 
generation, or let me rephrase that, every generation, where you don't see the rebuilding of the Holy Temple in your days, meaning today, meaning right now, it's as if it was destroyed. Which means that destruction is not a historical event. We've re-entered the day and we've, re- we've destroyed it. And why? How? How did we destroy it? And the rabbis explain it 100%. Because of causeless hatred. Because of, because of causeless hatred. Okay, so we know that we've re-entered the day and we've re-entered the same problem and the reason is because of causeless hatred. As I've been discussing with you the last few weeks, few months, we have this orla around our hearts, which is a blockage around our hearts. And it's stopping us from... It's stopping us from, like everything basically it's stopping us from being sad when other people are sad like feeling their pain like just not being caring or compassionate it's stopping us from that it's stopping us from being happy for other people when they're happy because we're just so limited and jealous and just mean-spirited we think their celebration is coming out of our pockets which is ridiculous so this Orla, it's like, it's, it's really getting in the way. But let's get a little deeper. There's a tremendous light coming down on Tisha B'Av. Like the Medrash says, it's, it's, Mashiach is born on Tisha B'Av. It, it, it's, Tisha B'Av is a very great day. There's tremendous, tremendous light coming down today. And the problem is, is that our heart, our individual hearts are not large enough to hold the light. And so if you, if you don't have a vessel large enough to hold the light, it comes down as destruction. It manifests itself as destruction. And the example that I like to give is if there's someone thirsty and you want to give them water, so they're just standing there. And then you open up the gates of Hoover Dam on them. Like this wall, the skyscraper's wall, size wall of water, like falls on top of them. It's destruction. You're not giving them water because they're thirsty. They, They don't have the ability to hold that amount of water. So it manifests itself as destruction. God wants to bless us with this tremendous light. This light where we realize that there's only one God in the world, that there's only one power, that all of us are brothers and sisters, that we share one soul. But if we don't have a vessel to hold that light, that light comes down and we only see destruction around us, like that wall of water crushing the person who's thirsty. Now, what is the solution? Now, listen carefully. We have to expand our hearts so that we link all of our hearts together and make one big heart. If we can make one big heart, which means we got to get rid of that orla, that covering over our heart. If we can make one big heart, we can hold that light. And what I'm telling you right now is the deepest. I promise you it's the deepest, and I'm going to tell you right now how deep it is, okay? Kabbalistically speaking, there's something called Shviris Hakelim. Okay, this is like a very grand idea that runs through every aspect of creation. What it means, Shviras HaKelim means the shattering of the vessels. When God went to create the world, okay, so there are many, many stages in like the evolution of the light, and it's, it's really, it's not simple, actually. It is simple. 
but it's also like if you actually learn it inside, it's quite complicated. Nonetheless, the idea is that God put his light into these vessels, the vessels being the ten spherot. But the spherot were not connected to each other, which means that each one of these heavenly vessels of creation, right, of materiality, which was going to be the building blocks of the material universe, each one of these vessels individually try to hold all of the light. And guess what happened? They shattered because they couldn't. And that was the first cosmic exile. Many of you are familiar with the idea, it's in Kabbalah, but it's also very strong in Hasidus, the idea of elevating sparks. Where does this idea of elevating sparks comes from? Where does it come from? It comes from this idea of the shattering of the vessels, of Shvira Sakelin. When the vessels shattered, they made all these sparks that have to be uplifted. That's where it comes from, okay? Now, Hashem, who knows everything, and knew that that was going to happen, by the way, because God knows everything, then went to the next stage of creation, which was, this time he took these ten spherot, these ten vessels, and guess what he did? He joined them all together. The vessels joined together. And when they were united, guess what happened? They were able to hold the light. So when I tell you that our hearts are closed, but if we get the orla off of our hearts and we unite our hearts together, and we become unified as one people, we will be able to create a vessel which will hold the light. And this will be the finishing of creation which started before there was a there there. I mean, we're talking about the very elemental beginning moments of the cosmos. We will complete that story. We are destined to complete that story. That story on God's timeline has already been completed. That's how much of a done deal it is. We just have to do the work. And again, let's just go back to that nitty-gritty meat and potatoes imagery of the Rambam. The whole world is on the balance scale. Right? One more thing that we do, one more act of caring, one more act of caring can tip the scales. All right, now the Rambam wrote that about a thousand years ago. So people have been trying to tip those scales for about a thousand years. So don't get burnt out and don't feel guilt ridden. You know, like don't make yourself neurotic or crazy based on what I'm saying. But just have the big picture in mind and then do it in your own organic way, you know, in, in a way that's, that's spiritually healthy and mentally healthy. And just, you know, it just means doing more. And then how you do more, you, you will be the best judge of the best way to do more. Okay? I'm not trying to guilt trip anyone. God forbid. That's not the point of this. But I want to give you a clear set of tools and images and knowledge so that you should know where you are and where we're heading and how to get there. Okay, I'm just going to finish up with a, a piece of information that I think um, is, is kind of cool. And I don't know if everyone knows this, but it's, it's very cool. So there's certain years, it's not every year, but there's certain years where the um, Torah portion that we read in Israel is different from the Torah portion that we read outside of Israel. And it goes on for a period of time. It starts at Pesach for technical reasons. I can explain it another time. But it's basically it's because 
Outside of Israel, we observe Pesach for eight days, and inside of Israel, we observe it for seven days. And that can create a little difference in the calendar of which Torah portion we read that week. Outside of Israel, we'll read the Pesach portion. Inside of Israel, since Pesach is over, we'll just read the normal portion of the week, and then we get out of sync. Okay, very good. We always get back in sync the same week. And this is custom designed by the rabbis and by Hashem. And that is Parshas Devarim, which we just read this Parsha. And Parshas Devarim is very important because it's always the Parsha every year before Tisha B'Av. It's always Parshas Devarim. And one of the scary things about Devarim is that it actually has early on in the Parsha the word Echa, which is the Book of Lamentations, where you see that the, the Torah, th- through its prophecy, because it's God's, God wrote it, that God knew what was happening in history. So the word Echa is in Devarim, and we always read it before Tisha B'Av. But I want to say something more positive, which is, isn't it amazing that all of the Jewish people become unified and united on Parshas Devarim? Parshas Devarim is the one where everyone gets it together and we're all on the same page because that's what's needed in order because that's what's needed in order to bring the redemption for us all to get together and you know whatever's going on in the Torah is going on in the world so how beautiful is it that the Torah itself is bringing us all together so, so, the war is already won. We just have to go out and win the war. <laughs> and, uh, okay, I'll stop there.